0: This is just a smidge more with Brandy Henson. I'm Holly Stillings, and this is everything you want to know without an appointment. This is a weekly podcast where medical profession and real life collide. Hello, everyone. We're back. Are you ready? I you, you am look so shocked. ready. <laughs> you look scared. <laughs> you look nervous. No, yeah, I, you I look do? over
1: and I see the title of your notes there says well, back to Beverly. And I think that's a really good name. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Thank you came to me last night
1: <laughs> i'm impressed
0: oh good i'm so glad so we're back thanks for joining us everyone for another episode of just a smidge more i'm here with brandy henson hello and lexi whitler hey we pull her along on all of our la adventures yes for the shopping that's right afterwards so we're back in beverly hills Sitting here with Dr. Neil Varanes, and he got such a huge response on our podcast. So we had to come back and bother him again.
1: It's definitely not a bother. And Pleasure to be on here.
0: The biggest response we got is about part two of our episodes and your life. People love to hear the real stuff. They love it.
1: Interesting. I think we uh change your listeners. <laughs> If that's what got them going, uh, I, oh boy. I know,
0: I know. I was like, I wonder if people will be more interested in the cosmetic surgery. Or are they going to be more interested in the personal stuff? And then Brandy and I were like, oh my gosh, this, this is what I keep hearing over and over again. A lot of talk about your marital status, which is none. Yep, still hasn't changed. Single life, single life. <laughs> He's a glutton for punishment. We can answer more personal questions. We can talk about the business, but we're going to talk about the business. And a little
1: bit of both. We'll sparkle in some good.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, what's new in your life?
1: (laughs) Honestly, the holidays, the holidays bring a lot of patients into the door. Every plastic surgery office here is busy. And I don't know if you guys notice in your med spa, but everyone has their downtime. They want to take advantage of it. They have a little bit of time off of work or maybe they're not traveling this year. And they see it as a perfect excuse to come and get some little touch ups or full on cosmetic surgery.
0: Well, that was part of my questioning today is do people book right now? Like, do they come in, consult, book? To, I mean, I know you guys are backed up, but, like, they're off from work, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a good time. I mean, if you're not going to go, like, full holiday mode, little nip-tuck.
1: Exactly. Why, <laughs> why not? not?
0: High and tight. High and tight. High and tight. That's what Brandy says. Yep. Got to keep it high and tight. Everybody wants to be squeezed in. That's right. For the new they're year. No so no
1: longer snatched it's high and tight it's high and tight 2024, 2024. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same wavelength
0: uh, so you were telling us that you went and saw a play or you're going to see a play going
1: to tonight yes there's okay. a Dr. Seuss play at the Pantages Theater so oh yeah I've seen some to people some going
0: tickets. to that yeah it That's should be fun. good I'm excited
1: good. we've got a nice little group going so it'll be a lot of fun
0: who are you going with
1: Um, it's a couple of office people and then friends of friends. The group has kind of expanded. Uh So it's a nice collection of people. And again, friends and friends of friends. So it's always nice to meet a couple of new faces and then enjoy these holidays and these events with people that you enjoy spending time with.
0: And are you guys going to go to dinner before?
1: We're going to probably try to do dinner before. Yes. That's
0: fun. Mm -hmm. Where's your favorite dinner spot?
1: Oh, so many good places here. I know. Around here, Luca is one of my favorites. Um, Alley on the Grill is delicious. Um, in West Hollywood, we've had some really good um, restaurants. And Casa Madera is awesome. Good vibe, great drinks, but the food is delicious. I
0: love it there too. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. You oh, have good
0: taste. Is that the one with the. Um, we went there. We didn't went we? there for a birthday, right? Uh, and it has the women on the yes. walls that are painted. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. That place I was good. I think that's
1: Toca Madera.
0: Oh. So, there's two
1: sister ones. So, it's Toca oh, and Casa. Oh, you're Kasa.
0: right. Toca, the one with the woman and the...
1: Yes. Yeah. It's X-rated. Not for this podcast, but the uh-huh. future <laughs> yeah. podcast will be more descriptive. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Casa Madera is the one where it feels like you're in Tulum.
0: Oh. oh I haven't been to that one. That we need it's to go That one's
1: new-ish. Probably, okay. like, maybe six to nine months ago. Opened up. Really good food. Cool. But... It literally feels like you've escaped and gone to Tulum for a night.
0: Oh, that's neat! How fun! Okay, we'll go there. Okay, can we talk about this latest surgery post that you posted? About it was the backside. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. <laughs> oh, it was good. That's it funny. was insane. It was all lipo, that's right? That's a
1: major transformation. It yes. was
0: like you took the letter I, and you made it into an attractive B. An S. An
1: S for an S curve, and yes, this is the that's the whole point. Right. That's yes. why we call it the S curve. Oh,
0: that's right. Because so, it
1: resembles a soft S instead of having huge, drastic contour irregularities or changes from a very narrow waist to a very large buttock. We try to make it so that it, the transitions are smooth, and it does resemble a soft S curve. Um, yeah, she's a lady, very one of the sweetest, sweetest young girls. She, she she's looks in her
0: amazing. 30s.
1: Yes, she is thrilled. Um, and that's a patient, though, that we talked to and said, listen, you probably need two surgeries. Let's try to, you know, go for it all in one. And we'll try my very best to get you to a really good point. And then if we want a second surgery, that's up to you. And she's just so thrilled. And she actually came from um, Canada. So, of oh, course, cool. they're ni- of course, she's very okay. nice. Yeah. And uh, so I yeah, think everyone I don't in think she'll Canada be is
0: so nice. They're the I nicest know. people.
1: And I have to give her a lot of credit, though. She was on it for the aftercare. She does regular lymphatic massages. She's been working out. She's gone. like, And I think these surgeries sometimes are triggering in a good positive way where you kind of get the booster shot or mm-hmm. and the motivation to then jump and get onto a healthy yeah. diet to maintain exercise and on a regular basis and kind of maintain and perfect these results. So kudos to her yeah. for kind of spending the time to really, really really harness the benefits of these surgical procedures
0: so what was so did she have two surgeries or one surgery one so what was the surgery exactly it
1: was just 360 liposuction what that's it how and much did you fat take transfer fat transfer to the buttock so three mm. exactly. where did you
0: get all the like what area did you take the fat from
1: everywhere so abdomen thighs flanks back arms and then transferred it to the buttock
0: it was incredible. Yeah. It was, it was a
1: lot of liposuction. I mean, it was like a 6-hour surgery. So Really? Oh yeah. I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's kind of like watching a block of marble get delivered in Italy and then you mm-hmm. have a sculptor just chisel out slowly and ultimately make a nice um sculpture. And that's exactly what the beauty of liposuction. And the fun part of liposuction is, is that you have a canvas, and then you slowly, 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 Mm -hmm. without causing damages and problems and contour irregularities, you have to sculpt out the shape that you envision from the beginning.
0: Yeah. And so let's talk about that. So with a patient like that, how do you realistically set her or theirs expectations?
1: So I think that's a very interesting question because it's very nuanced. And based on your experience, you have an idea as to kind of ballpark what it's going to take you to get to the what you envision. So the moment you see something and you talk about patient expectations, they tell you what they want and what they desire. You instantly know, OK, this is going to be like a four hour case, a five hour case, a six hour case, a six and a half hour case. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty darn good about getting it to like the 15 or 20 minute mark within mm-hmm. that range. Um, and then as it takes form, you also have to take do audibles, right? Right. So you kind of see one area that's coming down a little better than the other. So you spend a little bit more time on the other side on the flank. It's and that's the art of plastic surgery is that if you're just so regimented and you're like, okay, I'm going to do 50 strokes on this side, 50 strokes on that side and then done. You're not going to get a great result. You'll get a good result. Mm-hmm. But the difference between good and great is that ability to look on the table, assess what you've done and say, OK, it needs a little bit more here, a little bit more here or I'm done. Any additional strokes will only make this worse. And so that, to to end a surgery is actually a very interesting question. And that's, I think, where you get experience from and a lot of good training is to know when to stop.
0: Mm Mm-hmm, absolutely. And you have a certain eye for it, obviously, Um, but she looks amazing. And if you guys wanna see this transformation, you can go onto the IG page. it is literally incredible. Like I was scrolling. I was like, Whoa, that's amazing. So what do you think when you're in your consults, what's the number one thing that you're find yourself repeating over and over again now?
1: Realistic expectations. Um, I think a colleague of mine actually today posted a very interesting post about how easy it is to manipulate um, pictures and Instagram pages and make Mm -hmm. it into a magic show. And Patients really, I think, deserve transparency. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, these are surgical procedures. There's real risk involved. I think you have to talk about risk. I think you have to talk about how you're going to deal with a small revision or a major revision. Um, What are the chances and what you foresee as the chances? Can you meet this person's expectations? They come to you as an expert and they say, I want this, this, and this. Well, maybe all three of those things are possible. Maybe they're not possible. Maybe they're possible for someone else, but they're not possible for you. And having the hubris to say, I can do this It's you have to be realistic with yourself and with the patient. So I think that's what I end up repeating myself. I say, okay, these four things are possible. I can deliver these four things. This I don't think is good for you or Mm -hmm. I don't I wouldn't recommend this or I recommend Mm -hmm. against this. And here there's a 100 plastic surgeons in like a one block radius. So they're going to find some plastic surgeon that will take their money and do the surgery that they think that they want. Yeah. But I think it's your job. And I think you sleep better at night. Mm -hmm. If you really give them an honest opinion, they're coming to you for your expertise. You have to stay true to yourself. Money is irrelevant. It's obviously you have to get paid for what you do because otherwise you'll go broke and (laughs) starve on the streets. But I don't do this for money. And I think the good plastic surgeons don't either. I think that's secondary. Everything kind of comes to the patient first, what you can deliver, be honest and execute.
0: Yeah. And you have to th- you have to evaluate their mental health a little bit. Right. And you the, th- the thin slice that you have with them on a consult. Have you ever like been like, you know what? I can't help you. You got to go to therapy instead.
1: Oh, definitely. And there's a really? couple people. Oh, yeah. There's a couple people we refer to um, that are excellent about that. They have a, speci- a specific niche and just a specific specific interest in patients who are doing plastic surgery and undergoing plastic surgery and the mental component that comes mm-hmm. with that. And so they're a really good resource. But I do oftentimes, we'll never commit to surgery on the first day. So mm. basically, Yeah, you I always have say you two, do two, two consults, For right? that reason, because by definition, then they've had time to think about it they come back with different questions you talk about things again you really assess and make sure that they're they haven't changed that's a
0: really good tip for plastic surgeons coming out of residency or fellowships or whatever right two consults because a lot of times it's just one Mm -hmm. yeah but two that makes a big difference
1: and we're in an era right now with zoom and virtuals where a lot of times people will talk for 20 minutes on the on a zoom They'll book them for surgery, they'll show up for their pre-op the day of surgery, and then they meet the surgeon the day of.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's that, scary. That's well, scary.
1: it's here to stay. I, I don't think,
0: Yeah, I think, think there's certain models, too.
1: Those are that's a business model that mm-hmm. does exist. I think it's going to exist. But I think that kind of leads into more of a production, a factory production type of surgery. Mm-hmm. I think if you want a more customized experience, if you really want your surgeon to know you, to you know, know your expectations, but also to know your medical history. I mean, how many times in surgery do we kind of say, oh, you know, this patient has a history of this. I got to watch out for that. Or you're communicating with your anesthesia colleagues in order to maximize safety. I believe that you do need to know the patient. And I think that two consults, the consult and the pre-op visit on two separate days is mandatory.
0: Hmm. Well, and I mean, you're working in Beverly Hills. You're like at the pinnacle of, you know, the area of plastic surgery. It's a very sought after location. And so you probably have patients from all over the place. Right. And if they've saved all their money for that surgery, now they got to pay for travel to come out for a Hmm. consult. So what do you do in cases like that? And is that, is that a big thing now, right? Because I was reading in 2023, that's like the big virtual consults are a big thing.
1: Right. So I think you can assess a lot of things on a virtual consult. So one of the two can be virtual. Mm-hmm. But I think you do need to have so – then, so then it's three times. You see them on a virtual consult. You have a pre-op day. And then you have a surgery day. So – Then it's three separate occasions. And again, you've seen them twice in person on two Mm -hmm. different days. So there is space in between there for them to think, to really digest what you've told them and then come up with questions or really be introspective with themselves. And on the second time you see them in person to say, okay, let's finalize this plan or let's tweak this, or I've thought about this. I have additional questions here. How do we manage this risk or how do you mitigate this risk? And I think that's the whole point of having that surgeon patient relationship. Virtual, you're right. People do save money and, you know, really look forward to their surgery. But cosmetic surgery is also, unfortunately, a luxury item. Yes, it is. And it's kind of like saying you've saved up all your money to buy a Lamborghini car, Mm -hmm. but then you can't afford gas. Mm Mm-hmm. You can't afford the car insurance payments.
0: Well, I think a right. lot of people are saving their money up for plastic surgery. And then they're like, you know what? I'll just have beans and I'll drink water. And you know what? Bread. Bread. Yeah. Saltines.
1: My, my, my point to that is. And they're
0: not wrong. Okay. Let's just. They're not. They're not. No, they're not. God plus, bless them. Aesthetic plastic
1: surgery is rarely a one and done situation, right? Like right. you're always going to have like a small little revision or down the line, you age, you're going to want more. You put and,
0: That is such an interesting comment. Right. I think that is something that isn't talked about a lot, but needs to be like they think, oh, I you know, I've had a plastic surgery and then that's it. And it's like, well, no, everyone that I've known that has had plastic surgery has had at least one revision, at least. And so that is I mean, that's par for the course. Right. It
1: is over time. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to have a revision within the first year. I mean, hopefully you have very, very, very few revisions, immediate revisions. Mm-hmm. But people age. I mean, I can go through every single operation. You know, facelift. You do a facelift at 50 by 65, they've aged, they do need a second, like, touch up, mm-hmm. um, or their eyes then become droopy, or they you get a blepharoplasty, and then again, 10 years later, you've aged and you need a little touch up. Breast implants you know, the device has ruptured, you got in a car accident, or you fall, or something hits you and it ruptured, or it malpositioned and you need a touch up, or just natural aging. The breast tissue has now changed its position relative to the implant, and you do, and then you're due for a lift. Right. So, all these things kind of have maintenance. And again, going back to the car example, it's like you buy a car, you need to do oil changes. You got to go once every 10 years and, you know, do brake fluids and at 30, 40 year, 40 miles, you need to do a transmission belt or I don't know. I don't know much about cars, but I know at <laughs> some point talk. you got to do. You know what?
0: Let's go back to plastic yeah. surgery. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's the point, though. You can't just yeah, afford and save it. up for one surgery and hope that then all oh, life is going to be different. Right? Sure.
0: And so and there's certain lifestyle changes that have to be made before a surgery. Right. I mean, what do you tell your patients when they come in for their consult or whatever? Is that part of your discussion and part of their personal plan? We do
1: assess all that stuff. So we look at where they are mentally, where they are physically, where they are medically, and also where they are in terms of their general health consciousness. So are they eating well? Are they having the right nutrition? Are they going to a gym? Are they actively losing weight? Are they gaining weight? Are they stable? Mm-hmm. And all of those factors kind of come into my decision when I recommend a surgery or the timing of a surgery. So I might say, hey, you're a really good candidate for an abdominoplasty and liposuction, but we need to wait six months because you have to th- work three months. Months at the gym, lose weight, lose the last ten pounds. You're gonna be feel great. You're gonna be great, and then all of a sudden we can do this. Um, BMI is not the greatest indicator, but it's a number sometimes that people will use to say, okay. Over a certain BMI, these body contouring procedures have a much higher complication risk. Wounds don't heal. You end up with dehiscence and overall contour is less than ideal. So you talk to patients and you say, okay, you know what? This is great. I'm glad you came to visit me. Hopefully this is going to inspire you. After our conversation, you're going to go, you're going to change a couple lifestyle modifications, and then you're going to come back in six months or nine months We'll see where you're at. If you've hit the milestones, then we proceed with surgery. And I think that's a very fair way to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think about local anesthesia? Like, do you th- do you feel like everyone has to go completely under for most surgeries? And if not, what are the ones that can be done that without it?
1: No, I might actually blow your mind right now.
0: Okay, please. Um,
1: <laughs> I think you can do a very, very good facelift under local anesthesia. Really? Oh, really? See, told you. Blow your hmm. mind, yeah. With facial blocks and just to mess in what you na- normally need to infiltrate, mm-hmm. people are comfortable. They take a couple Xana- um, Xanax or Valiums and they're full as a cucumber.
0: A couple, like a five? Couple? I I'd be dead on the floor. <laughs> take 10 like Xanax. No, I'm just kidding. Um,
1: no, <laughs> you can do, do it safely. Yeah, you can do it safely. And a That's lot of people crazy. will do facelifts under there. You can do minor nose um, surgeries. On, if it doesn't require kind of septum work or a lot of major osteotomies, you can do... that under local um now the patient also has to be the right patient so if they go they tell you hey i go to the dentist and every time they do a little procedure on me, a filling, a cavity, all this stuff. I freak out. I get mm-hmm, nervous. Yeah. I sweat. I shake. I, like, probably can't sit to still. Probably need knock that one out. That's yeah, a there, patient. You know, that, like, you're going
0: why? under. Sorry. Yeah, exactly.
1: Even if they were to get a mole taken off, you'd that, probably that's need That's me. <laughs> that's you.
0: Yes. <laughs> Please knock me out.
1: So, but then, then you have other things or considerations where if you're looking at body surface area. So, if you're doing liposuction in a small area, you can do that under local. If you're going to do 360 liposuction, like, there's no way you can do that well And safely with um, Under Local. I think there you need to be asleep.
0: What are the benefits of doing it Under Local in your mind?
1: So... There's risk to anesthesia, right? Anytime you put someone to sleep, although it's a very, 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 very small risk, there's always some risk. So you take that out of the equation. Patients can basically recover faster. They don't have a tube in their throat. So the risk of like sore throat afterward or coughing is mitigated. Mm -hmm. Um, Also cost. Let's be honest. We're like a lot of times this is done because of cost. Patients are trying to cut some corners. And if you don't have to hire the anesthesiologist and you can do it safely, You can do it under local and Mm -hmm. it does save them a couple thousand dollars.
0: And I've heard a lot of the smaller areas like for local uh, anesthesia for lipo. Some people, some surgeons are doing like arms or like areas of the back. What do you think about that? Because that's got to hurt.
1: So it all has to do with how much lidocaine you can give a certain person. So it's weight based. So So there's certain calculations that you do to administer a dosage of lidocaine per patient's weight. And as long as you stay under that uh, threshold, Mm -hmm. then you're safe. And so that's where you start calculating how much numbing and local anesthetic do I need to give a certain area, and if I'm going to exceed how much I'm going to give, then they have to be asleep because then I can give less local anesthetic because they're asleep Mm -hmm. and they'll be comfortable because the anesthesiologist is keeping them asleep. If they're not asleep and you have to then, you're responsible for keeping them comfortable with your local anesthesia, you have to up the dose, but you have to stay under that threshold. So that's kind of the calculations that you kind of keep in mind when you're considering and talking to patients about local anesthesia versus general anesthesia. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you feel like you're more aggressive when a patient's under anesthesia versus not?
1: I wouldn't necessarily say the aggressive part of it because I think, again, if we're just talking about abdomen, I think it can be just as aggressive because you've numb them up completely. They don't feel anything. I think that's fine. I think if you're starting to approach that threshold and then you shortchange yourself on how much anesthesia you've given a specific area just because you don't want to go over that threshold limit, I think then you kind of have to dial it back in terms of how much liposuction and how aggressive you can do this liposuction and etching and high definition. And that's, I think, what your kind of question is targeting. So it's kind of patient by patient. And again, and that's why I think you have to see patients. You got to review with them like what Mm -hmm. what they're desires are, what they want out of their surgery in a pre-op consultation and not meet them the day of. Yeah.
0: So, what is your philosophy on natural achieving that natural look? And I know we're going back to natural, right? I mean, we were like you know, high big boobs, high butt, BBL, overfilled, overfilled faces. faces, like we're we're going back to natural. So, what what is your philosophy on achieving the most natural results for the patients that want it? Because some people still like all of that, and and you know what? God bless them because they look good, and some people can really pull it off. So, and
1: everyone beats to their, their own drum, it's right? It's true. And so I think my philosophy in general is just more natural is better and it's here to stay. I think like fashion, Um, there's certain classic looks and classic, you know, handbags for women Mm -hmm. that are here to stay. They've been popular for the last 50 years and they're going to be popular for the next 50 years. And then you have trendy ones that are here for this year and they're really hot and everyone wants them. But next year that no one does. Right. And so I I just personally I think natural is the way to go. And that's what I try to deliver patients. And then sure if a patient comes in and wants something that I'm not that pushes my comfort boundaries a little bit and they want it for a good reason, they're convinced that they want it, I think they're mentally, you know, ready for that. I can deliver that, but I think that's far and few between. I think for the most part, and what I enjoy doing is kind of delivering more natural results, whether it's the face, breast, or body.
0: Mm-hmm. So you talk about like the deed is done now, right? People <laughs> have had their surgery. Now what? What are you? What are you gonna do?
1: So they, there's no turning back. That's it. Once mm-hmm. you have picked your surgeon and you have operated on someone, now you're bonded for life. Yeah, and that's a real Find responsibility. A good one. But it's also just a real responsibility that you're going to have for the rest of your life. Those two people are bonded. Mm -hmm. And um, I think afterward, so you have surgery, aftercare is super important. You have to listen to that surgeon, trust that surgeon, um, listen to their instructions, take care of yourself, eat well, especially on like big body contouring cases where your body just needs building blocks for wound healing. You need to make sure you're actually eating enough protein, or even supplementing additional protein or different. How many vitamins. grams of
0: protein would you suggest a day? It depends for the on average the, weight. What is?
1: It? I think it's like there's a certain calculation, right? Of like 35 grams of protein. Mm-hmm. Um, they're about plus or minus, and then depending on what they do. And if people have big cuts and incisions that their body needs to heal, you need to add more. If they had like a rhinoplasty where there's not that much, like you know, wound skin to skin wound healing, mm-hmm. you probably don't need as much. So it kind of depends on the surgery. Um, when you're talking about fat transfer, a lot of people are believers that you have to feed the fat, so you have to do carbohydrates and high-carbohydrate diets after fat transfer, so that the fat cells can absorb those carbs and retain to them, retain onto them and survive.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. And I do think I think everything. So in that's moderation. the surgery to get everyone. <laughs> 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 Sounds like a win-win to me, especially now. Yeah, the holiday the season. Holiday season. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Eat those cookies. Eat pasta. Yeah, yeah you're in you'll training. Enjoy it.
0: You know, <laughs> you're in training. You're training. You gotta do. You gotta do your work.
1: That's the Rocky mentality. It
0: really is. So then on a, their post-op care, eating well. What about the lymphatic massages? Let's talk about that.
1: Excellent. I think that has completely revolutionized and changed liposuction and gluteal augmentation, contouring, and even abdominoplasty surgeries, tummy tucks, in that lymphatic massages are a great way to smooth out internal scar tissue. It helps the body, I think, get rid of, mobilize some of that extra fluid that gets built up. Mm -hmm. The edema after surgery is real. And so you kind of have these lymphatic massages therapists that are trained and do a really good job about pushing it, draining that fluid from the tissue into, like, the bigger blood vessels. And basically, they speed up your recovery.
0: What do you think about using, like, an ultrasound machine?
1: So we... Don't use ultrasound, but we use a different type of machine that's kind of proprietary. And it's basically used for kidney stones, breaking up kidney stones. Okay. And so we use that. and we have Just found,
0: in the office? This is your guys' – No, no, no. Oh, it's, oh, it's, oh. it's out there. Okay. It's just I
1: just – the machine, the Zimmer machine. It's oh, like the Zimmer. A, okay. Yeah. They have like some sort of like – it's not ultrasonic, but it's mm-hmm. like a shockwave okay. type of um, high-frequency treatment that they use for kidney stones, but then they've modified and modulated it so it's more for soft tissues. And that's been really good and helpful. Um, and now we, in this office, we are pretty unique. There's only a handful of devices that we're using light therapy to also further improve. Oh, really? Post-operative pre-operative and post-operative care and inflammation and get people to heal faster because here in Beverly Hills That's what people want.
0: Yeah, Yeah. they're willing
1: to pay a premium They're willing to like rely on our expertise and we've looked at the science and we're working with a couple different companies and their Unique machines to really hone in on the benefits of light when it comes to wound healing
0: fascinating. The light therapy is so interesting to me. Like, what do you think about? Do you think it works? I mean, obviously, you're, you're telling us this, but like these little electronic devices that people can buy on, you know, online or whatever, what would you suggest to them? What would you say? What do you want to look for?
1: I would say save your money. Oh, uh, really? most of, yeah, because most, the, Yeah, the the science and the technology that goes on behind an actual medical grade device is enormous. And we also modulate the treatment based on time, but also joules per square centimeter all these factors and per calculations and parameters get plugged into that none of these home devices really? have them. I think it's, that part's a little bit of a placebo with the exception of red light for hair stimulation. Really? Those ones I think do work.
0: And they're pricey,
1: too. They're pricey. But those Mm -hmm. ones, I think the hair, like hair, just the red light stimulates the blood vessels and causes inflammation, actually, around the follicle. And that drives in all. It basically turns the hair cells from dormant to alive and ready to produce a new hair follicle. And that's why you get hair stimulation, usually in male pattern baldness. But women can benefit, too, if they have thinning of hair. So those devices, I think, do work off the shelf. Not as well, obviously, as the ones like the high-powered ones that we have here. But those ones and the other light therapies and things that masks that you kind of get on Mm -hmm. Amazon. Yeah. No, I'd be a little hesitant. Okay, there's probably a little downfall. I'll take
0: that out of my shopping cart. (laughs) Do you have one? So let's talk about some of the innovative procedures that you see coming down the pipeline and some that have happened already that you think are just here to stay. And like we talked about fat transfer. And I don't really know if that's innovative, but I feel like it's being really revolutionized right now. And a lot of plastic surgeons are using it and posting about it. And I feel like it's really taken to the next level this past year, like, and you're using it. So that's a big piece, right?
1: Definitely. I think fat transfer is here to stay. It's, I think the, in revolutionizing is probably the perfect way to say it. It's been around for probably 15, 20, 30 years, but now we're kind of understanding and modulating it a little better we're processing fat a little better We're even sometimes taking the fat cells out and using nano fat as stem cells and growth factors and that is for treatment of specific conditions like under eye discoloration or melasma um, so there's different indications Wait.
0: so what do they do wait let's stop right there so you take <laughs> the fat out and then what
1: so you process it through different filters and okay. then once you get to a certain size like a 200 micron filter then the fat cells themselves are processed processed. processed out and only the growth factors that surround the fat get basically come through the filter you harness that and then you inject that into either melasma or discoloration around the eyes and that's been really shown to help
0: fascinating
1: so that's what revolutionizing is better right Mm -hmm. or people used to just inject fat. Now we're kind of processing in different amounts and different levels. And we're thinking about it, I think, a little bit more sophisticated uh, manner, such that it kind of gives you the outcome that you want in a more predictable fashion. And I think that's the name of the game is kind of what you were asking or alluding to. Some of these surgeries are here to stay. The facelifts have been going on forever. Mm-hmm. Rhinoplasties have been going on forever. But I think now just the refinement of them is what is revolutionary and patient expectations. I think patients are just expecting and demanding more. Camera, well, I was looking at a recording the other day, like from a camcorder from like mm-hmm. the 1990s. Really? Where it's so grainy. Yeah, I forget. Well, yeah, patient, they have, like
0: the VHS tapes. The VH, yeah, exactly.
1: Through the VHS tapes. Exactly yeah. that. And Maybe you you're were watching the Grinch movie.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> Getting you ready for your play tonight. <laughs> Remember how they were all so grainy, yeah, those so old fast. Christmas movies? It's
1: incredible. But you look at even like photographs on medical textbooks. They're black and white. They're yeah. grainy. Like, you're like, oh, yeah yeah, that's a great facelift, but you really can't see anything. Right. And now 20 years later, everyone has 4K. That's like a perfect photograph. Like you see even the pores yeah. in a patient's face get analyzed. So just the level of, of the degree that, to which we're kind of judging, patients are expecting, and that we ourselves as surgeons, because we're all type A, mm-hmm. want to deliver for patients. The, the margin of error is so small.
0: Yeah, It really is. What about stem cell therapy?
1: So a lot of people in the area are experimenting with it in terms of injecting into IV injection of stem cells. I just, I personally haven't done it yet. I haven't looked into it, so I don't know Mm -hmm.
0: too much about it. Not your thing. Not yet. What about 3D printing for reconstructive surgery? Because you're a facial guy yeah. and you came from a facial trauma background. If you haven't listened to our part one and part two with Dr. Varanas, you should go back and listen to it. It's a fun, fascinating subject matter. And he came from his past is from a facial trauma.
1: 3D printing is awesome.
0: Revolutionary. Absolutely. I'm going to use that word again. It's my new word. <laughs>
1: I mean, think of, um, so right now, actually, switch gears to the reconstructive air side of things, and we'll kind of focus a little bit on the uh, craniofacial part of it. So when people break their jaw, right, mm-hmm. let's say you put a plate on it. What used to happen, believe it or not, is that you'd expose the fracture, take a look at it, try to adjust the bones to line them up, and then you would take a plate that's straight and bend it yourself to match that patient's like contour, their jaw. Line contour, (laughs) and you'd get it pretty good. You'd get it within like you know a millimeter or two off, but it would be good enough that the bones would stay in place. Now, what you can do is absolutely insane. Like, I mean, not for necessarily traumas. You can use it for traumas, but if you have time on your hands, you can get a 3D uh, CT scan, give it to a couple different companies that do this, and then they print out a pre-bent plate that you can then put onto someone's jaw or maxilla or forehead, wherever you kind of need this sort of thing. But it is like, it's so congruent to your particular patient's unique curvatures and it bends in three different ways, 360 basically. It's amazing. It's incredible. And the nice thing too, is that you can basically the way they construct it is that it's a lot stronger because it's, when every time you bend a plate, you're weakening it. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine, like, if you bend it a lot and to try to contour it to someone's face, you've kind of weakened the construct quite a bit. And that was just like what people had back in the day. But now if it's pre 3D printed in the shape that it needs to be, it maintains how strong it is. So that, that is, is really cool. cool. So cool. So what people are doing from a cosmetic standpoint, 3D printing, where I do see it is they will 3D print silicone jaw implants. So basically, if you come to me and say, okay, I want mailer like cheekbones or jaw implants or chin implants that are custom, we go through the same process, right? We give you a high resolution CT scan. Map that out, then basically build virtually your chin implant, your cheek implant, your jaw implant. And that's actually common in men more than women, I would say.
0: We're kind of seeing that a little and bit, too, in our business. Like, mm-hmm. they love it. They love the jawline fill- fillers. They like the cheeks. Exactly. They want to look good.
1: And, the well, next, and then the next step up, or if they want a more aggressive jawline from what more fillers can do is, or a more permanent solution, they kind of enroll in these types of surgeries. And so then the 3D printing will print out the customized that fits and wraps around your entire mandible, locks in like a locking key. And there you go. There you have it. That's so cool. Does that
0: mean that surgery, because you would do the surgery. That for is that, surgery. Is that a simple, more simple procedure just to put the implants in?
1: No, it's not more simple. It's actually pretty, the dissection of it is actually pretty extensive, oh, especially really? if you're doing wraparound because you've kind of deglut, you've opened up basically from the angle of the jaw to the chin to the other side mm-hmm. angle of the jaw. And this implant has to, you have to fit it in there through three small holes and line it up properly and get it to lock in. Once it locks in, it's great. But it's actually a tricky surgery to do because you've got to lock it in through three small little holes.
0: Is it the best to use it on the chin? I mean, like, because we keep talking about the jawline. Or could you use it, like, around, like, your orbil- orbital area or, like, orbital <laughs> rejuvenation? Like,
1: People are putting in malar implants that go right underneath the orbital rim. And then they fan out and thin out as you go more laterally. So it gives you the most volume centrally. Wow. And then it thins out as you go more laterally.
0: I want that. Hmm. I know. I That's so cool. That's amazing. So let's talk about the surgeries that make you feel just as young on the outside as you do on the inside for every decade. So what would you say that would be for like your thirties? No, start at twenties. 20s. Twenties 20s. <laughs> start early. Actually, let's start at eighteen. I we would hear say a lot of people mm-hmm. now, like girls getting breast implants for um, high school graduation, a nose job, whatever. I mean that's. That's the world we're living in now.
1: Absolutely. So those you totally nailed it. Those two things definitely for a high school student mm-hmm. can be transformative, or a high school student transitioning to college, where there's a natural transition in their education. They're starting to find themselves, and mm-hmm. it's just like a really good, well-timed way to do it. Where then they enter college, and no one knows them as the
0: pre-right
1: rhinoplasty oh pa- fascinating person. They kind of just say like, okay, this is kelly this is holly this is brandy like whatever Uh, and so they're like okay this is your nose and that's why a lot of patients will do a scheduled surgery in the holiday break whether it's summer break or winter break is because there's a transition and then they come back to school and Their friends are like, oh, you look refreshed. You look good. Yeah. Right. So like subtle things like that kind of do help. Or over the summertime, you haven't seen someone in three months, you kind of forget those details. Like, oh, did they have a bump on their nose? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But they look great now. Sure. And then they, they feel just as good on the inside. Probably college, like maybe 20s, early 20s is when people start thinking about breast augmentation. And so that's a really good powerful way for fem for women to feel feminine mm-hmm. so i imagine there's a women out there that have just genetically less volume and they kind of see other their friends in the locker room or family or cousins or maybe hopefully not but maybe they've been made fun of mm-hmm. and they've kind of have this internal trauma and now all of a sudden breast implants they kind of feel whole they feel like a like the ideal woman should in quotation marks because there's, there, you shouldn't feel that way, and it's awful that we as society kind of do experience those thing, those pressures.
0: I think it's getting worse, but it does yeah. happen. It really yeah. is,
1: and with social media, it's, yeah. it's yeah. Crazy. only getting worse. And
0: so, what about the 30s? What's definitely. what are the 30s surgery? Wait, let us guess.
1: Go, oh, yeah, this will could be a mm-hmm. good game.
0: I think 30 uh, eyelid bluff. I was gonna say now people and at 30 boobs. have money to spend. Yeah, so that could Would be a repeat of. That's the a breast, good. the nose, because mm. they couldn't afford it before. That's true. Yeah. And, and lipo. Or they have kids and now they're mom having a mom. There you go. So
1: yeah. 30s is a lot of that. So it's, yes, the ones that would, that can now afford and have always wanted breast implants or the nose and now they can afford it or they have time They Mm -hmm. have control of their own schedule and they can take some time off and actually schedule around it because previously they had school or studies or they were in PhDs and they like their schedule just wasn't their own. So you see that. And then you have mommy makeovers. So, you know, there's they still feel young. So 34. 7, 35, mm-hmm. can have two, three kids, but yet they're still young. They also now are in an era where their friends are maybe, they have never had kids. And they're like, you know, two 35-year-olds yeah. are best friends. One has had three kids and one hasn't. And there's nothing wrong with that. But one just feels like, okay, I want to get my body back. And yeah. a little bit of surgery sometimes helps with that.
0: And she's like, yeah, I, I just want to rest. I just want to take a nap. <laughs> I, mean, I, I want to rest. <laughs> and the only way I is in the operating shows. room. I want to watch shows. <laughs> but have nobody <laughs> yeah, bother me. It's not the <laughs> operating
1: room. It's what happens after. They absolutely love the aftercare. It's going and hiding it for two, oh, three yeah. days it's in amazing. an aftercare where they yes. get pampered. They don't have the responsibility of their kids. We, yeah. f- we specifically tell them they're not allowed to lift any children or things oh. like that. Yeah. And just and I just realized I need started You know what?
0: We're going <laughs> to enroll today. Put us on the calendar. <laughs> see did you hear that rest Rest. you can't come over the next day for a podcast no you can't you (laughs) cannot okay what about 40s what are the 40s surgery wait let us guess okay i'm gonna guess um lipo and facelifts eyes oh yeah okay oh eyes yeah
1: i'd say early 40s you're looking at more the blephs and Uh lipo is a good one then in the late 40s early 50s you kind of transition and start to see more of the facelifts
0: oh damn it uh, we're almost there (laughs) (laughs)
1: but everyone's different you know some people wait till they're 60 it's it's all personal preference and then 60s is definitely facelift era
0: neck and then
1: yes and then you kind of start having the revision breasts right where they have had breast implants and now they need a lift as well or they want to downsize or and get fat grafting or they want to upsize and there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that they want to feel like what would you say earlier you want to feel on the Outside, like you feel on the inside,
0: right? And so they want to look on the outside, like you feel on the inside. There we go. That's the. Yeah, so that's it. So let's talk about the consultation process. Red flags.
1: So red flags from a patient's perspective. Now, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to flip the script a little bit. Is if a surgeon overpromises, you says that everything's going to be great. There's, I've never had problems. I. You know, this has always worked. If like they use words like that, I think they're trying to sell you more than they're trying to be your surgeon. I think they have, they're obligated to kind of tell you that, yes, I've had some issues or the industry, you know, plastic surgeons who do this Mm routine, like will occasionally have one, two, three, four problems or, you know, this one thing is the hardest part of this operation for you or based on your anatomy, I worry that we might have this. And then also then they should follow up and say, well, if this happens, like, what are we going to do? Okay, I think there's like a 1 or 2% chance you might have a little like extra columella that we can just in the office if you're not happy with it. Just Tuck it and revise it and, you know, it won't be any cost to you. It's going to be like a dental procedure. You'll sit down in the chair here and we'll block off two hours in the afternoon and we'll take care of it. Now a patient kind of knows, okay, that's the one thing that the surgeon thinks might happen. Or it kind of gives them, I think, like an actual sense of security of saying like, okay, they're going to be here for me afterward. And I think that's a big thing. So if they don't do that then I think that's a red flag. Um,
0: I think that's a big thing, too. Like, um, in our business, we hear a lot about different plastic surgeons and what is their follow-up and, you know, what is their response to... Um, procedures that need a revision or, you know, I think that's where the credibility builds or it doesn't. And it does kind of get around like, you know, I've we live in a very small town, but it's like I've gone to this plastic surgeon and this one is great about it or this one's not. And it's a big deal. There's usually a reoccurring theme amongst the same ones. right?
1: And I think if you tell someone beforehand that's informed consent, if you tell them after the fact, like, oh, yeah, that could have happened. I think that's just an excuse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the real difference there. Um, and you have to just trust, right? You have to build a relationship with your surgeon, trust that they're gonna be there for you, trust that they're gonna make the right decisions for you, trust that they're gonna just give it their all. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what people want. Like people actually don't want perfection or I think they're okay with saying like, you know what, this is a lot better. It's not perfect, but mm-hmm. it's a lot better and yeah. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. I think that's that. a
0: really great realistic point. Point. yes. We have a friend and actually she was telling me, she's like, the thing about plastic surgery um, is that it's never gonna be perfect. And it's not perfect is a very weird word. It is something that people strive to look like. But if you're going to have something done, plastic surgery wise, perfect is not the right word that you should be thinking in your brain. Like you need to be realistic about this because a lot of things do need revision or they need a little tweak or whatever. Like you are starting to go down a path. Right. It's not just like one and done. Exactly. I mean, sometimes, maybe a booth job, but like I mean, you're gonna have to revise that in ten years or even that, exactly.
1: Like the it's the numbers say that at the 10 year mark i think there's to mean like 25% of patients that either their device ruptured and malpositioned yeah. or their breast tissue just draped over it and now you need a lift and that's not nothing wrong that the plastic surgeon did on yeah. day 1 like it's right. a, and that's i think the problem we have is that botched that word botch gets thrown around so frequently yeah. and it's very unfortunate and it's actually very harmful i think to patients because if they didn't get the result, the outcome that they desired 100%, they're like, oh, it was botched. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you actually have a really good nose. And I, I met someone a couple of days ago. And he's like, you know, kind of slow, lightly, kind of saying like, oh, yeah, that other surgeon was out of their, you know, in deep waters, maybe out of their league a little bit. And I was like, okay, wait a second. Yeah, your nose actually doesn't look all that bad. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. Sure, there's areas that we can improve. And sure, there's things that you wish were a little different. But it's definitely not botched. Botched is like when things, the train goes off the rails and derails. Right. right? Like that's botched. Having an outcome that you don't love is not
0: botched. I love that. That's a really good way to put it. And I think people out there need to hear that if they're thinking about getting something done. um, This is a very realistic, honest conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: And then it goes into your earlier question, I think, of like, okay, how do you, let's say they understand that and it's like sometimes a light bulb, you see the light bulb go on. you're like, oh, you know what, I've never thought about that. You're right. My friends all use the word botched and it's not, mm-hmm. you know, um, but then you have patients that are just like not understanding that yeah. and that's I think where you have to say like okay listen like I think like you should probably see like one of my colleagues um, therapist um, psychiatrist if it's if they need like medication prescribed but usually a therapist is kind of a nice light way to kind of inter gently introduce that topic mm-hmm. or say have you ever seen anyone have you ever considered talking who have you talked to about these changes that you want to do to yourself, right? Do they have the support, family support? Do they have a significant other, a good close group of friends? All that stuff is important. If they say, I have none of that, then I think it's easy to say, you know what? Maybe there's someone, third, neutral, third party that you you would like to talk to about. Mm -hmm. And then we revisit this conversation at the next visit.
0: Yeah, I see love you that. say it so nicely. <laughs> yeah, she really does. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I didn't. My my conversations didn't go like that. One actually, I sent two. Pa- I've sent two patients to therapy because they're, you know, they kept coming in. This wrinkle, this wrinkle. I'm like, there is literally no wrinkle there. And one came back. She actually went to therapy. She's super happy. One got mad and left, and probably went down the street and had, you know, someone will always take your money, but. We had a conversation the other day in the office and you got to see it with one of our patients and it just it wasn't the light bulb wasn't going off. So we should do uh, mental health, like plastic surgery, like body Check. dysmorphia, like with um, Carrie McCoy. We should have. That's our R G mental about health that when he was talking earlier. Yeah, that would I'm be interested. a really, really good episode. We'll have to add that to the list for 2024. And
1: then it's nice once you have that done, then you can just refer a patient and yeah. say, hey, listen, like, listen to this podcast. And that might also be a nice little springboard. That's a of, great idea. That's oh, good. OK. Now I we're thinking. It. Exactly.
0: <laughs> now we're <laughs> cooking with oil. <laughs> Don't get there <that. laughs> <laughs> any more fire, please. Like, just let it calm down over there. Put the matches down. <laughs> Put the matches down. So what do you think is your most interesting case that you've had lately? One that you could talk about.
1: Oh, I, I'm excited for this one patient. Um, she had four prior rhinoplasties, and it was just like, oh man, the hardest so case for I've ever these people. I ever had. And it's just like, I opened the nose, and it just like a complete bomb had gone off oh in there. My and gosh. just slowly like rebuilt the entire thing from like the deeper septum to like the top cartilages to like the bottom cartilages. And it ended up looking great. And I'm excited for her. Oh, good. But that was just like a really tough one. And but it's also rewarding. I love that part of it. She
0: came to the right guy. Facial trauma guy.
1: And I'm excited to see and that's why I think I like the balance of cosmetic and reconstructive is like these revision cases to me are so intriguing. Yeah. And difficult. But, I mean, I think with the rain, right, she's got the right head on her shoulders. I'm excited for her. She's the one that says, like, okay, like, I don't want perfection. I just want it better. Yes. And we we're kind of building off of that. And I think, I know, fingers crossed, like, I delivered a result that's she's going to blow her mind. How many hours? That but is so great. That was probably, like, six hours. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Took her own rib, like, reconstructed. Really? Yeah.
0: Fascinating. So cool. I'll show you
1: guys later a little preview.
0: That a. is so cool. So, see, you picked the right job for
1: yourself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I love it. I feel like I don't go to work. I just absolutely love it here. We
0: can tell. Yeah. You're it's always, so like, happy and excited. You're, like, full of life.
1: I plan to stay that way.
0: Good. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Just a Smidge More. I'm Holly Stillings with Brandy Henson and Lexi Whitler and Dr. Neil Varanez in Beverly Hills. Beautiful, fancy Beverly Hills. <laughs> You can come see him. You can have a virtual consult. He's literally amazing. So check out his work on Instagram. We will tag him or his website under Dr. Gravami. And we will see you later. Have a great day. Bye. 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 Check out reversegravity.com where you can find our wonderful skincare from vitamin C to eye creams, to retinols, to neck creams, to body tight. We've got it all and you can buy it anywhere in the country. You don't have to be in Redlands now that we are online through Shopify. Come check us out.